0: Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. Uh, it is 8-14-2022. We're continuing our worship service, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week in prayer.
1: Thought of the week. Take it from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God. All the words used in conjunction with grace have the same character. The word gift also speaks of something which is bestowed upon us as opposed to something we earn. Salvation is not a reward. It is a gift. And God knows the difference from Romans chapter 4, verse 5. I'm surprised that many do not know the difference between a gift and a reward when it comes to salvation. What is the gift of God? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. This salvation is the gift of God. Whatever your thoughts may be about salvation, take a step back and hear it from God's perspective. Salvation is a gift and not something earned. Even though these words are quoted by many, they are busy going about their own way, trying to earn something. God will only give as a gift. If you are working for salvation, you are not saved by grace. If you are working to keep yourself saved, then you may not have understood or received the gift instead of working hard to prove something. Why not simply accept the gift? The terms of salvation are important to God. And if you do not see it as a gift, you will always try to show yourself worthy of salvation. For many, this verse has been committed to memory. You can begin you can begin quoting the words of this verse and many, many can finish it. However, not many have taken these words to the heart. Jesus said that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Take it from Matthew chapter 50, verse eight. Your attitude of pleasing God must be confined to what God says pleases him, or else you are pleasing yourself. Be very careful here. You may be wasting your time trying to work. For that which is only given as a gift, they worship you in vain. Their teaching are but rules taught by them. Take it from Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Truly, he says truth is a gift. It's not something that you work for, it's just a gift. And this is what God has given us by He giving His Son to us so we can receive this great salvation. So I'm hoping many of us understood that it's a gift of God. It's not something that we work for, we earned it, or something we must do. We don't even deserve this, but God has committed to giving to us the gift of salvation. So it is by grace we are saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves is the gift of God, not a work. So we cannot be built upon it. All right, we have this moment we have for prayer. I pray and then we will receive to our 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 teaching to our pastors. Pray for
2: Thank you, Dave. At this time uh, I'd like to ask uh, is there anyone in need of prayer? Prayer request.
0: Yes. Um we just uh Mr. Murphy is uh who who is my neighbor. He had uh Stroke, he's in the hospital praying for him
2: thank you uh, let us take this to the throne of grace Heavenly Father Lord we're grateful Lord for this opportunity Lord to come before you in grace uh, that you have provided for us thank you Lord for this grace that you have provided for us that we may come boldly to the throne of grace lord that uh and thank you lord for watching over us and keeping us lord as we have gone up to this very point lord keeping us in health keeping us in strength that has brought us to this very point right now asking lord that you would continually lord watch over those who have lost loved ones uh watch over and keep them Lord as and keep them Lord. Asking Lord for prayers for Mr. Murphy who is Doug's neighbor that you would be with him as he is in that hospital bed suffering from stroke. And Lord asking for prayers, continued prayers for the word of truth and all the people through his web this website that here your message of salvation through the message of the word of truth is true. Lord, watch over and keep us, as many things are going on in this world today, that we might keep our eyes on you and say the righteous we shall live by faith. Um, Amen. <clears throat> Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, of our hearts, may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. May we continue to walk in the light as he is in the light and grow in it knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in Christ's name I pray for the forgiveness of our sins amen 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 thank you um, Fred
0: thank you Dave much appreciated we're going to move into our service um, where we are in John chapter 17 and verse 23 That is our focus today. It says, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In your notes, we have these words. There is an interesting theme in these last verses of Jesus' prayer. It is, quote, then the world will know that you sent me, unquote. That's verse 23. It came to me that if it is important to Jesus and the Father that the world knows about this, then it must be vitally important for us, the church, to know about this marvelous work done in us. Are you aware of what the Father is doing in this age? In one way, we can see that the Trinity is proud of what they are accomplishing in us. Quote, in order that in the coming ages, he might show his incomparable riches, the un- incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Unquote. That's Ephesians 2.7 and rightfully so for we are god's greatest achievement as we live in christ this quote new creation has been around for two thousand years now and for many it is still a mystery and that's interesting uh as i think about that it is still a mystery Uh, What is a mystery I'm talking about? What what am I talking about? I'm not talking about salvation. I'm saying what God is doing in the church is still a mystery to many. So this is part of the reason why we're here. It is our responsibility to let people know, just as Christ is letting people know, the character, the quality of the church. So that is our objective here. Point number one, we're going to get into each phrase. The first one is, I in them and you in me. So the first thought is, Christ is describing further what is meant when he speaks of our oneness, our glory, our new relationship with the Father. So to get this thought, we need to make sure we understand the context of where we're, we have come from. And so for that, I'll just read 21 and 22. <clears throat> it says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. So, <clears throat> notice the character. The subject is on the quality of these believers who will believe in Christ through the message of the apostles. It is the character of, and quality of what they have by virtue of our believing. <clears throat> we, all we did was believe. And by virtue of that, all of these things accrue to us. We should know that Christ is continuing to describe further what is meant when he says we are one. And the glory that we have. And the relationship that we have with the Father. And all of these things, as we think about them, Christ is letting us know the character of the church. These are the very spiritual dynamics for every church-age believer. We have them listed. If Christ would say, point one, this, point two, he would tell us, hey, point one is this, point two, he's given us the character. He's defining for us what is uh, the qualities of the church age. Let's dig into it, because he keeps going with this. Point B. If we did not have such definition and detail of how God transformed us we would not have the authority to speak in the way we do <clears throat> and we speak when we speak about such things we aren't really equivocating We're, we're this is what it says in um, the verse I quoted here 2nd Corinthians 312 it says therefore Since we have such hope. Now what do we mean by such hope? Which means absolute confidence of what God has told us we have. Since we have this hope, such tremendous hope, what does it cause in us? What is our response to knowing what God has given us? We are very bold. And we are... I mean, this is not arrogance on our part to be bold. And there's a difference between what boldness is and what arrogance is. Arrogance is about puffing up self. It's about, it's usually about self. What boldness here refers to is the hope that we have. It's what God has made of us, who we are in Christ. And because of that, it is not that we are timid, or shy, or unassuming, or any of those things. We are bold because of what God has done. And it's not just, oh, I'm, I'm going to be bold. It's to say that I want to also let people know what God is doing. This is the revelation of God that he has given us. And it is so that the world may know. So we have this definition. We have this detail. The more detail we have, the more we know what God has done for us. How he has transformed us from what we were in Adam to what we now find ourselves in Christ. So we, we have authority now to say the things that we say. And not be worried about what the world will will say. Well, actually, we already know what the world will say. The world will hate us. We already know what religious people will say. They will persecute us. In fact, some of them will want to kill us because of the things we say. Just as they did uh, put Christ to death as well. So we're not to be surprised about the reaction. But even if... We suffer in this world as a result of these things. That is part of our growth. And what God, he says, that's okay. If you're going to suffer, you might suffer in this world. That's all right. Be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. Point C, let's get back to our notes. As those in the new creation, we are learning of key spiritual dynamics that exist in each of us. And when I say that, if, if I were to say that, these spiritual dynamics that Christ is saying distinguish us from every human being that ever existed. In fact, it's not just that they distinguish us from that, but they were hidden from every human being, or angel for that matter, in existence. They didn't know about these things, so it wasn't like they could sit around and talk about it and converse about how, uh, what are the implications, what are the ramifications. They couldn't do any of that because it wasn't on the table for them. They didn't know such things were possible. But now, (laughs) we're here in this new creation and we're learning about these things from Jesus. And they exist in... Each of all of us, we should say, that are in the church. Each one of us have these dynamics going on inside of us. Quite a a point of interest as I think about it. Point D. Let's state them now for clarity and distinction from all other rational beings. That would include angels who are rational beings. They don't have these qualities. And neither does any other human being prior to Pentecost. That is when uh, the church age began. That is when these new dynamics became the norm for the Christian. So uh, let's state, so there's uh, how many points here? Seven points. Uh, Let's state them for clarity to help us understand the distinctiveness of each one of these things. Okay, so point one. All of us have five unique ministries of the Spirit. And let's just name them. And if you're not familiar with these ministries, then uh, it is, I would say, part of your understanding that needs to happen. Right? If you just have a general way of looking at these things, then remember the, the blessing, the understanding, and the responsibility is in the details of those things. Years ago, I used to talk about it this way: it's to say, if you're, you ride down the street and your little girl or boy says, Hey, that's a big building. What is that building? And the father says, Well, it's a bank. And then the, you know, the, for the child, it's fine because, oh it's, a, oh, it's a bank. Okay, it's a bank. That's a bank. bank. But it's a little child. It doesn't really have the capacity to understand much more. And that's all the father gives, and that's all the child understands. As the child grows, a little later, the child says, Dad, you said that's a bank. What are they doing there? Now you need to give a little bit more. Tea. Oh, so you, <clears throat> you, when you have a, you get, you work at a job, and you get a check, and you can go in there, you can cash your check. And the bank will give you the money for the check. They, that's what they do. They exchange, you know, the check for money. So you can get, child says, Oh, okay, got that. I understand that. So then, that was fine for the child at that stage, but then as the child gets older, she, the child might say, well, "You know, that's a pretty big building. Look at all the how high that building is. That's all they do in that building. What else do they do?" So more detail is required. Oh, so not only that, they uh, they give mortgages and they do loans, and you know you can invest your money and on. So how much detail does the child want? It depends on the child. It it really depends on the child. So it's the same analogy I'm giving for how people lean forward with the details that are given when Christ is telling us about this unique spiritual life that we have, the spiritual dynamics that exist in our lives. So when I talk about some of these things, the baptism of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, the indwelling the sealing and the gifting of the Spirit, all of those things are unique in their own right. They're not just how the Spirit moves in mysterious ways. We'll never know. You will know because He tells us in the Word. The Spirit of Truth has given us information about how all of these things affect us, how we have each one of these things in uh, as a part of who we are in Christ. So the more you lean forward, you might say, well, what is that? Okay, it's the baptism, fillings, indwelling, sealing, and gifting. Uh, that might be enough for you, but then how much more detail, right? You need to break each one of them down. Baptism of spirit, what does that do? What does the filling do? What? what how does that work? Uh, where is it in scripture? Uh, what about the indwelling? Is that somewhere in scripture? Where is that? All of that, Detail brings understanding. The more we understand, the more we know what the hope that God has given us. If we have, the, if the detail was not there, that'd be one thing. We could say, well, the, all these are, you know, it was right here in the Word. But if the detail is there, if God is explaining these things in great detail, then it is important for us. To also understand those things. And in, in, in the detail that God has given us. So, so point uh, two. All of us have this special oneness relationship with Christ. So that started when we got to verse 20. That all of them may be one father. Right? That's where jesus started that whole thing but even before then he talked about the disciples and how they were called and chosen and special and this and that so then he says yeah well i'm not just talking about them I'm talking about everything all of the ones who are in this age um that they may be one right and that that was what started this whole thing about oneness but we got to say that this oneness it may be the result of the baptism of the Spirit, but it is still something that in its own right we should understand in more detail because it has more detail. So point three, that oneness ushers ushers us into the relationship with the Father. So, So the fact that we have this oneness, we could ask, what? does this oneness mean like what and you know the church over the centuries has tried to define what this this oneness means but i would say that we should define it by the words of jesus first we we should allow him to speak and say what it is and then we can follow up with what we think about what he said we shouldn't say ah the oneness well the oneness must mean that we just all have unity and that you know it means more than that and i'm just going to say it does and how do i know it because jesus is going all to all this detail to tell us what it means so it ushers us into the relationship with the father now it's one thing to say we have oneness with christ because we know christ became flesh and made his dwelling among us now that's unique in and of itself the fact that he's was God from eternity past that so he's the creator uh, the world was made by him and he was in the world, and the world didn't recognize him that's all in John one, but he became flesh and made his dwelling among us that's interesting in and of itself have <laughs> we just studied that or looked at that but then he's saying, this relationship extends the fact that we have this oneness in Christ it extends to the same oneness with the Father. So, wow, the Father doesn't have humanity. He wasn't born into this world. He doesn't have a human nature. But yet, we can have the same oneness with him. In the same way Jesus has that oneness with the Father, we can have this oneness with the Father. And as I said, the Father doesn't have a human nature. So, obviously... Whatever this oneness is, it does not depend on our human nature for its function. Because the Father doesn't, if it did, if, well, we couldn't couldn't have this oneness with the Father because he doesn't have a human nature. I'm just using Doug logic to all of this, okay? That's point number two. Point number three, this, oh, that, that is point number three. One, two was relationship with Christ. Three was the one that ushers us into relationship with the Father. Four, all the members of the Trinity indwell our bodies. That's even though we could say in the five, one of the five ministries that are unique for us is indwelling. Well, it doesn't explain what the function of that indwelling for each person of the Trinity is. Each member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit indwells us. The Son indwells us, and so does the Father. And there are scriptures for each one of those. I would say, if you said, well, where's the scripture? Actually, we covered it already. So I would say you should take time to look these up. Dig dig these out. If you want, want me to answer, sure, certainly we can do that in Q&A. We've covered it already. Hopefully you have the notes you can go back to. But yes, each Member of the Trinity indwells our body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit makes your body a temple. The Father and Christ and the Holy Spirit indwell the temple of your body. Guess who else is in the temple? You are. (laughs) You're in the temple. So there's four people in your body temple. That's point number four. Five. We have the achievement glory Christ requested. Wow, that was, uh, that, that in other words, that was requested before the world began. Having finished the work assigned him by the Father before the world began. That's four and five. That's 17, four and five. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Well, you know, when when Christ, understood that he was going to have this work, there was no world, right? There was no uh, creation. This was before the world began. So now the glory that accrues to Christ as a result of him finishing the work in time before the world began, right? This this all has to do with... Uh, what Christ requested from the Father in verse 5. But now, as we have seen in verse 22, Christ has given us the glory that he had and uh, so that uh, we are one as they are one. Wow. I mean, it just continues to grow. The more... The more something is solved, the more questions that it opens. At least it should open in your mind. So that eventually you'll have a full understanding of these things. Not just in the way that somebody here trying to eke out an understanding, but in the way that the Father understands these things. You can can know them in that way as well. So uh, that was five. We have the achievement glory Christ requested, uh, uh, having finished the work assigned him by the Father before the world began. And so point number six, Christ was loved before the creation of the world because of his role in the eternal purpose of the Father. That's also in our verse 23 here at the end, which I don't think we're going to get to today, but it says it. He says, And uh, then, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So this, this is to say that there is a special love here going on. And we, we can easily dismiss the fact that obviously it's not human love. Because this love that the Father had for Christ, uh, there's a whole lot on that that I want to at least help us understand. But this love was before the world began. So it's not even about human love at all. We can dispense with that idea. It's not human love. Point six. We'll talk more about that later. Point six. Yeah, so Christ was loved... Wait a minute. I think we already read point six. Christ was loved before the creation of the world because his role in the eternal purpose. Yeah, I guess we already read point six. Well, we're moving faster than I thought. Seven, that specific love from the Father for Christ is also directed toward us. Uh, Another unique thing is, I guess I kind of really summed it all up in my comment when we got to this love because it's important when we see this love, because when we think about how we are to respond to God and his love for us in this age, I think it's unique because we are responding not just to God love the world so much he gave his own begotten son, but we're responding to the plan of the father from eternity before time began, before creation of the universe, there is a love that the Father has for Christ, and that same love is also directed toward us. So we'll get to that. I don't, like I said, I don't think we're going to make it this week, but we'll, we'll have plenty of time to talk about it as uh, the text unfolds. So I and them and you and me, right? That's what we're dealing with. So let's get to point E, one E in our notes. We may have learned that we are a new creation, and uh, that's in Rome, uh, two Corinthians five seventeen. And we've quoted that if any man is in Christ, the new creation has come. The new creation is now here because this designation of in Christ is not just well I'm in Christ, and I'm, I'm I have et- that means I have eternal salvation. No, no. Eternal salvation existed before people were in Christ. Gods were saving people from the very beginning, from the foundation of the world. It has nothing to do, well, I would say nothing to do, but it has to do with something that is on top of eternal salvation for those in this age. So we have learned we may have learned about the new creation in second Corinthians 5:17. And some of the things we learned about it, this new creation, because we emphasized the word new. We said, oh, well, what's in the Greek? There's two words for new. One is kainos, and that means new, never before seen, like I'm unprecedented. And then there's neos, which means new with reference to time, like a new shoes or a new baby or yeah, I mean, there are other babies and shoes that have been around, but now we got a new pair of shoes, right? No, it's not neos. It's Kainos. So we've always emphasized that because it doesn't really tell us what qualities that we have as the new creation. And it doesn't explain what makes us new. It just says we are new. And we've grasped that and we've clung to that and understood that, which is profound in and of itself. But Jesus fills in some of the unprecedented nature of our new identity in Christ. Now, just imagine, if, if there was no explanation of further delineation of our new nature, then, of course, we would have to stop there and say, okay, well, we'll find more of this by and by. You know, when the morning comes, you know, but no, we have it. We have the detail. And Christ has given it to us even before the church began. Even before we got to Pentecost, he's giving us this detail about who we are, what that means, what is the nature of those. And I just was going over some of these things, these uh things that cause us these key spiritual dynamics that exist in each of us we're going over that because Christ is actually praying to the Father and he mentions these things to him this is why we are able to pr- bring them under our microscope and begin to look at these things in more detail so yeah we got some information in 2 Corinthians 5:17 about us being in Christ and how unprecedented it is, but doesn't tell us about our new identity in Christ. But we got it in other places, not just from Jesus, but from the Apostle Paul, from the Apostle Peter, James, all of them have. And John, they've all added to uh, what it means to be in Christ. This new designation, point F in our notes all these qualities of the new creation are on, are on top of our eternal salvation. So a lot of times I've read commentaries I would not say all the commentaries cuz uh, cuz there's so many commentaries I could po- couldn't possibly read them all. But some of the ones I've read cuz I read these verses and something just jumps out at me. Like like the words are just like neon lights just flashing on the scriptures. And I'm like, okay, I get it, God. What, I'm looking at these things in more detail. I, I want to know. So I start looking at them. And wow, it, you know, they're fantastic. But guess what? They're not talking about salvation. And I'm able to distinguish the salvation passages that are out there and the passages that deal with what is on top of our salvation. So you have salvation, but then you have what God has given us on top of that. So we can't mix the two up because if we if we just generalize and say, oh, all these are talking about our salvation. Wow, our salvation is a wonderful thing. Then we wouldn't really understand the detail in the context in which it is given. It's given in a context that is above salvation, beyond salvation. So all the disciples at this point are already saved. They were saved because they put their trust in Christ as the Son of God, the Messiah. It didn't say you had to believe about all the Pentecost and and being in Christ and the Holy Spirit indwelling dwelling, that's, those aren't conditions for salvation. The baptism, you can believe, all those things are what God has given every person who has believed. This is the work that God has done. And I recognize that it's hard for people to understand. I do, I recognize that because we always want to focus on ourselves. I always want to focus on what we can do. Well, let me tell you what I've done. Let me let me show you how I'm adhering to God's law or his principles in this area or that. But when it comes to the works that God has done on our behalf, what he has sovereignly graced us with, many people don't take time to look at that because they Lumped it all into one thing of salvation. Well, isn't our salvation wonderful? You know, that's just like the little child. That's a bank. Well, what goes on in the bank? Well, they cast checks in there. That's all. And the child says, "Oh, okay." But there's so much more to this that we need to be focused on. That we have to make these distinctions about. Okay, that's the salvation passage. And one as wonderful as salvation is. And, Listen, you couldn't even get in the door if you're not saved. As essential as salvation is, certainly. Then, but then God has something on top of that for those of us who are saved in this age? Yes, He does. And that is the subject that Christ is accentuating, that He is magnifying for our. It's almost like He's putting a microscope. A, a, a magnifying glass on it, so we can see what he's saying much better so that that's these are the qualities that we have I mean this is our heritage. this is not only our heritage our our inheritance we need to understand these things we're not earthly uh, our destiny is not to be on the earth it's, we are we've been taken out of the world even though we're in the world we're not of the world we don't belong here anymore and we could say those things and people could use those as euphemisms to say you know okay yeah because we don't do the things the world does but literally that's not what Christ said that's not what he meant when he said that he is speaking on a more literal sense we are heavenly beings now we belong somewhere else. Whatever And whatever the work that he did to make us that he did. Now, this is the case. We are, we are no longer of the world any more than he is of the world. And we are identified with Christ, not when he was a baby, not when he was an adolescent, but in his death. That was after his whole sojourn here as a human being, And then he died. He was separated from the world when he died. And now, when we talk about the baptism of the Spirit, we are baptized into his death, his separation. But his separation becomes our separation from the world. And our burial. And our resurrection. So this is not the same as just saying that. that. Those things that God did, those works that he performed on us, literally what make the difference, not just those, but that's one to consider about us being in the world and not of the world. There's something else that we are as a result of the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Father on our behalf. Okay, so those are the qualities uh, of the new creation, and they're on top of eternal salvation. Don't confuse the two. If there's some confusion about it. Let's just lay it on the table so we know. Point number two. So I and them and you and me. Point number two is so that they may be brought to complete unity. Complete unity. Let's see how NIV did on that word. So, first, we find so that, which is what we studied before, the word Hina so that, or in order that. So let's review some of the passages and how God pivots to reflect from one thing, right? He gives a statement, and then he gives this, that, so that, in order that, we may understand or have something else. That pivot right there where it hinges on, you know, one thing is given, the hinge is so that something else can be or we can we can have something else and that's important for us to understand because each part of it the logic of how god did it is revealed he, he didn't just say well you have that well the reason why you have that is because of this and because of that and i gave you that in order that you might have this. god gives us such detail that we only can sit back and marvel at how he does it it's like a reasoning in all of this of how he explains how these things fit together and and as we look at this we can only kind of sit back and marvel at it so let's look review hina means that's the greek word but that's what it means so that in order that it's pivotal word so, three points about that. And the first one is it found, it's found in 1721, where uh, the prayer is not for all who believe. The prayer is for all who believe through their message. right? That's the statement. So that all of them may be one. And it goes on to say one father, just as you are. And it gives us qualifications on what that one is. But that point right there is the pivot. So, when he says, I'm not praying for them alone, but for all those who believe on me through their message, right? That's the statement that lets us know that we belong to all that, what, all that Jesus said when he talked about the disciples. Those 11 who were there. Now, we know that those 11 became apostles. And those apostles were the foundation of the church. So we know Jesus is not just talking about the foundation or the founding persons who he used to start the church, but he's talking about all of us as one. And that's how he's, he's bringing this out, right? So notice the so that helps us to pivot so that all of them may be one. So wow, what pivotal information that is. I mean, we would never have figured that out on our own people would be saying all kinds of things. Well, uh, that was for the disciples only. In fact, there are groups of theologians who have concluded that they didn't read down further where it says that you know, all of them for some reason, I don't know, but they they are very popular out there, but that's what they're saying. But no, that's we have this and it tells us that we are part of this. So the second one is in verse 22 <clears throat> where it says we have been given the same glory Christ has been given. Christ says I have given them the glory you gave me that they then and then here's the pivot so that they may be one as we are one, right? So who's we when Christ says as we are one? He's talking about him and the Father are one. And the glory that was given to us was given to us so that and we pivot to this so that the whatever oneness we have is the same oneness that Jesus has with the Father no uh, there's no uh, you know diminishing of of glory or status right so th- Jesus gave us some glory he's I'm going to give you like just a little bit of glory and then the Father you you know you me and you got the glory you know that we have but I'll give them some of it no the same glory that the Father has with Christ is the same glory that Jesus has been has given us. It's the same, so we have the same status between who what we have, and it this refl- is a reflection of what I say in um, Romans eight sixteen or seventeen, where Jesus, uh, where, where Paul actually says, um, and, and if children, then they are heirs heirs of God. So it didn't say we are heirs of Christ or that we're, un, we're we're heirs but we're under Christ. It says that we're heirs of God. So the relationship that we have with the Father is direct. So he brought us into a relation now obviously it is through Christ. I'm not saying it's not through Christ. It is through Christ. But look at that. We are we in, are inherit Exactly what Christ inherits. What Christ's inheritance is, we just put it another way, is our inheritance. Not diminished. It is our inheritance. So this new creation that God the Father had planned for Christ includes us. If it, if it didn't include us, then Christ wouldn't have what, he wouldn't be what God the Father wanted him to be. It includes who we are in Christ or we could say it another way bringing many sons to glory. So that's point number 2 in our notes A2. 3. And this one this last one is in verse 23. This is the verse we're in. Christ in us and the Father in him. Right? So that's the word I and them and you and me. So that and another he pivots there again so that they may be brought to complete oneness. complete Oneness. Now, I've translated that complete oneness, but really, the NIV translated it. uh, uh, What is it? What did they say? Complete unity. Uh, Let's say why. We'll get to why that is in a moment. But just just to note that complete oneness. So there's the pivot. Whatever uh, you know, Christ is saying uh, Christ. He's in us, and the Father's in him. He pivots so that we may be brought to something. And what is that bringing us to? Complete, perfect oneness. So we'll we'll say what that is, but right now we're focusing on Hina, so we understand the pivot. We'll get to the rest of it, sure. Point B. We connect with the Father through Christ, which completes the plan perfect and completed oneness we have with the trinity so uh, i think as we look at that that thought right when we connect through christ in other words we're it's not like oh by the way uh, the fact that you are in christ now uh, i didn't really plan for this but guess what ends up happening as a result of that is that you now have access to the father That's not how it went at all. It was planned, right? The father, it was the father's plan that he would connect with us through Christ in this manner. And that connection wouldn't just be some, you know, tiny little wire connection, but it would be fiber optic connection. It would be perfect. It was perfect, completed oneness that we have with the Trinity. So when I say with the Trinity, this is the same connection we have with the holy spirit he's the one who facilitates the connection we have this connection with christ we have this connection with the father these are and and this is like i said it's the members of the trinity so that's that's unique point c the qualities or assets of the new creation are part of who we are not temporarily but for all eternity. now just think about that. So when Jesus started talking about this back in John 14, 16, and 17, I think we should read it. He didn't say this was temporary. Let's just see what he says. 14, 16, and 17. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you Forever. So whatever qualities the Holy Spirit, the help and the being with us as a part of who we are is forever. So it does not end. It's not like, oh, once we got our resurrection bodies, the Holy Spirit does is no longer needed. That's no, not the case. He will be with you forever. It's permanent. So as you could say, the, the qualities... Of the new creation you must have the Holy Spirit as a part of who you are I could just break it down this way and say uh, who are we okay we have as a human being well we're body soul and spirit right Uh, that makes if you have those three qualities that makes for you to be a human being We can talk about each one of them, the body, what it entails. We can talk about the soul. We can talk about what it entails. And we can talk about the the human spirit and what it entails. All three of those say that, okay, we're human beings. Well, what about the new creation? What do we need to say that we're part of the new creation? What, What qualities or assets do we need to say are part of our makeup? One that we're pointing out here is that the Holy Spirit will be with us permanently. I mean, and who's the Holy Spirit? He's not just some divine capability, he's not some divine company. He's eternal God. So we're talking about eternal the Holy Spirit, who is we are understanding who He is, we know who He is, that He is permanently. A part of our makeup, going forward, permanently. So whatever capabilities, abilities, competency, whatever the Holy Spirit has, he will uh, be a, he will partner with us to help us. and at, at the point we are now, to understand all the things that we have been given, and the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and all that, the Holy Spirit is there to help us get to that gradually, because part of our understanding is uh, related to our volition. Do we want to know all these things? Are we? Do we want to be aware of what God has done for us? So, but. Permanently, the Holy Spirit is a part of who we are. He's a part of the new creation. It's not, and this doesn't exist in all the rest of humanity or even angels. It's not part of their makeup, it's part of our makeup alone. This is unique for us. So I say that to say, um, you know, this verse 14, 16, and 17. Is permanent, so point D. Let's dig in a couple a little bit more. They were planned before the creation of all things in the divine wisdom of the Father. I wanna, let's look at that first. This is the wisdom of the Father who planned all of this that the Holy Spirit would be a part of who we are. First Corinthians 2 7. Let's look at the verse that talks about it. Uh, here we go 2 7. So he talks about this wisdom. Well, he's he's dealing with wisdom in the world and how it's not we're not to depend on human wisdom. But he says in verse six, we do, however, speak of message of wisdom among the mature. Mature means that the person has to have made some volitional volitional decisions in order for God to allow him to reveal himself in this manner, right? Because get to maturity, it does talk about what decisions you have made. And that is to allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you into all truth. So among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. He's talking about the Jews there. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory here it is, before time began. So there is a wisdom. So not only did God think about it and plan it, but he saw the wisdom of this plan that he put in action before time began. And then he tells us that this wisdom can be ours now. Right? We can have this wisdom. In other words, the very thinking of God and how it all works out and connects together beautifully and all the stuff we've been talking about is wisdom. We can have it, and this wisdom was not something that happened as as the course of time. In the course of time, God already had it, and it was destined for our glory before time began. So we're talking about how the permanency of what God has done for us. When we say we have the spirit, Christ told him, he says, uh, when the spirit, who who is it? The spirit of truth, the world cannot see him. He, uh, you know, we didn't finish the verse in John 14, but the world cannot see him, but you will, you know him and he will be in you permanently, forever. And, and the wisdom that he brings is unique because here we're seeing It's related to the mystery that which has been hidden, but but is for us. And and when is it? When was it before time began? I hope you're starting to see that there's something very special going on here, and something very special happening with you. The qualities, the revelation that is ours, the wisdom. Of the Father that belongs to you in this age is unique. Point E. So it goes way back. But then if we read this verse, the Father is demonstrating, this is point E that is. He's demonstrating his incomparable grace in the bestowal of these qualities for the eternal future. That's Ephesians two seven. So we went all the way back and saw how it stretched this wisdom stretched before the world began before the world began well that was before creation right yes before the world began and so now we're looking at ephesians 2 7 it says in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in christ jesus so when i studied that word in the coming ages It refers to the successive time periods in the future. So we could really just translate that in the eternal future. So so we're talking about in eternity past, before time began, and then we're talking about in the successive ages of the eternal future that will ensue, that will continue to exist forever and ever and ever. So, So let's see. In the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So now we have what God has given us. So when I read um, point B, we connect with the Father through Christ, which completes the plan, the perfect, the completed oneness we have uh, with the Trinity. Then I went and showed how it all happened, whereas God the Holy Spirit has been given to us, forever. And then we saw how even before time began, we were called and there was a certain wisdom, but that wisdom was destined for our glory before time began. Paul is talking about it like it is not earthly wisdom. It's wisdom that we now have in the church, that that's the wisdom that we ought to be chewing on, that we ought to be growing in. This is the deep things of God. This is this is how you grow. You can't grow by continuing to consume milk. It, you I, look, we should have the milk so that we know exactly what the milk is. I mean the ins and outs, the ups and downs around the corner of what milk is. We shouldn't stop looking at the milk until we fully understand the milk. But when you get it and you are saved and you are able to understand what salvation is, now you need meat grow up you saw where we read it was for the mature those who continue to allow the holy spirit to make to to lead and guide them into all truth wasn't just for the average person but the, the information that god has given us what he has done for us is for all of us except that all of us may not understand it may not know it that's where the Holy Spirit comes in with this information, the wisdom, right? So that that is uh, that was point I believe we're at point E. The Father's demonstrating His incomparable grace and His bestowal of these qualities of the eternal future. We read Ephesians two seven in that regard. Point F. And we're gonna to have to come to a close here soon. If we are not graced with these qualities. Then we will not be exactly like Christ, His body, the fullness of Him. Notice how Paul it uh, it, it, it illuminates more and more when we think about Christ. Right? We are His body, the fullness of Him. Well, first he says we are the church, right? We are the body of Christ. And then he goes on further and elaborates more and says, we are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Wow, that detail. As I said, the, the blessing of understanding is in the detail. And you have it right there. And, and we have these qualities. And the fact that God used Christ in this manner To create this new creation in which all of us have the same dynamics going on inside of us that Christ has inside of him is so powerfully unique in our thinking. It is preeminent, profound, and it is the priority for us, not only in this life, but in the eternal future. Is that what God has done for us. And we are, even if we say, even if we just stop and say, well, what is the eternal purpose of God? The eternal purpose of God is to bring many sons into glory. To re- reveal this mystery, which was hidden from all the ages and past, hid in God, but now is accomplished through Christ. We could say that, that's, and that's a statement of fact, but what it doesn't answer for us is why did God want all of this from the beginning? What, and what are the qualities of these sons? Who are we? What did God make of us? What is all this detail given that we need to understand that helps us to know something very special? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, the riches of his glorious inheritance and in the saints, the full knowledge these things right it it helps us to grapple with what God has actually done for us he has graced us out with these qualities and what and what he is obviously aiming toward is that the church his body those who are in Christ the new creation will be exactly like Christ well God made of Christ he also made us. So that's what we see in Ephesians 1.23, 20, especially that part about we're the fullness of him. So the God's, the Father's ideal for Christ includes us. Without us, Christ is not complete. Fullness says we complete him. Isn't that amazing to think about? We complete him. We'll cover one more point and then we're going to have to close. We'll come back next week with more. Point G. Oh, so I think it just kind of says that point. If we are not equipped as Christ is, then the Father's eternal, His eternal purpose cannot be realized. And that has to do with that word fullness. And... Of course, we know that statement is not true because uh, we are equipped as Christ is and the Father's purpose will be re- real and is realized in the church because of the work. God is not shooting in the, you know, at just shooting in, this, in the dark. He knew exactly what he wanted. That's so why I was saying he planned this perfect and complete oneness that we have. It's not just, well, well, it just happens to be that way. It wasn't? Well, what a surprise. No, this is planned. And we are seeing the Father telling us about the plan. And we all we have to do is sit back and allow the Holy Spirit to take us for a ride. It's the Spirit of truth. When he comes, he's going to do it. That's what Christ said he would do. And he's doing it. He's, allow, he's taking us down the road to understand all that God the Father had planned for us. So it is true that that uh, we are equipped with the same qualities and assets that Christ has. We share in all these things that he has and <clears throat> are given to us freely by his grace that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's end at this point We'll come back next week and finish more and learn more detail of what is being said here. And we'll also round it out with and have loved them even as, in the same way as you have loved me. That's in uh, point number four. We'll get to it all. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for your grace, for your mercy for your divine protection as we're in this dangerous world. Father, help us to have the, the wisdom that was destined for our glory right now in this world so that we know how to talk and to walk in this world, to manage our spiritual lives, which uh, you have given us. We thank you for this group uh, that... Where we are able to talk about such things, and uh, can not only talk about them but really get into the detail of what you have shown us in your word. Thank you for this priestly prayer that Jesus was praying to you, Father, and that we are learning so much from. As as we, uh, it, it not only qualifies but it characterizes our life. in in this age that we are in now. All of this we ask and, uh, and pray and thank you for, in Christ's name, and for his sake,
2: amen. Amen.
1: Amen.